On this episode of Of Mechs and Men, Gordon gets so mad he leaves the engine running. Vermage shoots a couple of rats, and Grayson could have shot a third, but if you ignore enough large red flags, you'll eventually get a little purple one. Hello, and welcome to Of Mechs and Men. I am Kanan Hill. I am joined, as usual, by my two good friends, Brent. That's me. I'm Brent. And Aaron. It's me, Aaron. How are we doing, boys? Well, I've locked myself in my canopy, and I will not be coming out. Well, that's good, because this week we're going to be covering chapters 9 through 12 of the book we've been working through. The Price of Glory by... William H. Keith Jr. Let's get into it. Let's get started. Chapter 9. We open with Grayson in the Marauder. He's in the cockpit. He's trying to... Use the radio, but there's a lot of static on the comms, right? They're still being jammed. He can't talk to anyone. But it's here that Lori gets a sensor reading on her radar. She tells Grayson, she's like, we got motion ahead. And it turns out this little scout craft kind of rumbles through the brush, but they see the markings. It's Grey Death Legion. It's one of their own, right? So we got this Legion scout craft comes rolling up and it's a messenger. This guy pulls up and they're like, we recognize you. And he tells him, I got a message from Captain Martinez. She says the dropships are under attack and the infantry line isn't holding. We don't have much time. So Grayson's like, all right, we need to pick up the pace. We got to go. Just like we feared, they're getting hammered. And he's very worried about the recon lance. And he wishes he could get in touch with them. But there's so much comm static. But Grayson, we get a little scene. He makes the observation that if they're using such aggressive jamming, they're being jammed themselves, which means that they're following a preset, kind of a rigid game plan, right? They wouldn't have, they have less wiggle room to improvise on the field. So that's a potential angle of disruption right there. So we need to get in and shake them up. I thought that was pretty smart. I did too. It's always that little element of grace and magic that comes through that you're like, that is where he works. It works it well. He's good at figuring out the point in which he needs to exploit and then doing that, exploiting it. The writer does a good job of selling it, his craftiness. He always gives a little explanation. Mm -hmm. He makes it plausible. Grayson, he can always find the chink in the armor. So they make it over closer to where the dropships are, right? We learned the dropships, they've nestled down in this like rocky valley with like steep sloping hills, I believe, on either side. And they're approaching the LZ. They get into combat. Grayson engages a Thunderbolt. They're kind of shooting back and forth. Thunderbolt has like the Sun Glow Type 2 heavy laser, which I thought sounded cool. And Grayson's like, yeah, Thunderbolt's cool, but they run really hot. I want to say, so for people that might be coming from, let's say, the video games or maybe the tabletop and they're reading these books, when they, they say Sun Glow Type 2 heavy large laser... They don't mean the clean tech 
heavy large laser. That's not what they're talking about. I think this is just more of a colorful description of a large laser. Just to clear that mm-hmm. up for anyone that was confused. Yeah, and a large laser's hot. Especially back then, right? They didn't have the good heat sinks and stuff yet. In fact, this was like nearly as bad as it got. So he fires mm-hmm. that laser a couple of times. That dude's cooking, right? He's sweating. So he's like, all right. I mean, Grayson's in a marauder though. Like that thing's, he's like firing. He's going around like alpha striking PPCs all the time. You know, he's sweating. (laughs) I did like in that little segment that Grayson's like the large laser, one of the scariest weapons that could ever be found on the field of battle. It could tear me apart. And it's like, Grayson, you have two PPCs. Like, yeah, you have the bigger weapon here and you got two of them. Yeah. So I just thought it was a funny little scene to it. I mean, admittedly, if we're talking tabletop, it's the difference between 8 and 10 damage. It's, you know, it's not a huge difference in damage. It's it's no. pretty scary. But you're right. He slings those PPCs around, and they're way more deadly. Yeah. It's popping off. Thunderbolt shoots some LRMs at the Marauder, Then so Grayson moves into partial cover. This part's cool. Lori in the Shadowhawk and McCall, of course, in the Rifleman, they pull up, and they start pulling aggro. Right, they open up on the Thunderbolt, so the Thunderbolt turns over to them, and then Grayson steps the Marauder back out and just like lets it rip, hits him with the PPCs and the auto cannon, and then like pulls back again. So they're doing the old wombo combo. <laughs> and they chase it off. The Thunderbolt dips into the woods. He's like, I'm good. I'm just gonna get out of here. Yeah, it did get a tad warm. Yeah, they mess it up though. They do some damage. They do hit it a few times. It takes a little damage and it retreats. And so the Great Death Legion is able to move up closer to where the dropships, they're like cresting. And finally, Grayson gets kind of to a vantage point and he's able to get a better tactical overview of the situation. And he's looking down and he realizes it's like carnage. He sees that the Merrick forces have, have like already engaged, right? It's lit because he can see that Ramaj's line has already broken that there's a whole situation going on. He gets into a fight with the Centurion, and he just, like, PPCs it and, like, knocks it over. It, like, blasts the dude off his feet. He's like, ugh! It's very funny. And then they all move in on a Wolverine. They kind of get it in with him, but he just jump jets away. So they do, on their approach up to the dropships, we get this scene of them kind of fighting their way through this series of, like, battles. They're trying to get to the Phobos and the Demos. But they're not there yet, and they got to fight through these guys on the way there. And then we get a scene farther up the valley. We got Charles Bear in the Crusader, and Khaled, he's in the Warhammer, right? Khaled's got a Warhammer now. That's right. Mm -hmm. How cool is that? They're fighting that Thunderbolt, the same one that Grayson was fighting that ran away. And so it's kind of messed up. And we get this little bit, we learn about Charles Bear, how he's descended from Native Americans who settled on Tau Seti IV, and we learned that he had always wanted to get a melee kill, right? It was like a rite of passage in his culture. I want to be a true warrior. I'm going to get that Warhammer, right? The Warhammer is here, the one that I believe that this is Colonel Langsdorf. That Warhammer is out here because he goes to get him. He's like, I'm going to get him. And right, you get this little combat scene, the Crusader's over there, and it's trying to get it in melee range. And they're kind of going back and forth. But the Warhammer, he hits him with missiles. There's a bunch of clouds and stuff he can't see. And when it clears, he's looking around. The Warhammer's like gone, right? And he's like, no. Ah, <laughs> it's, a, it's actually funny. He doesn't get the melee kill. He just like, he's like, ah, 
Yeah, the Warhammer slips away. He's just looking around. He sees Cheryl down the way fighting a commando, and the chapter just ends with him, like, gritting his teeth and, like, tensing his fists. He's so mad. He wanted the melee. He didn't get it. It's very sad. I loved how in this little section, Bear gets the spotlight, and Keith does such a good job of being, like, this is the reason Charles Bear is with the Grey Death Legion. He fits right in, and his... Idea that I'm gonna get a melee finisher yeah. on an enemy mech, and how hard he's working for it, but at the same time not being reckless about it either. It is Gray Death Legion to the core of like totally. I want to do cool stuff, and everybody's there for it. They're all a bunch of weirdos. It's like they're trying to get the achievement. Yeah, and he's like, oh, I need, I need the melee kill. Charles Bear out here trying to hundred percent battle tech. Yeah, 100%. I really love when we see the, like, Deimos and the Phobos in the valley, and these dropships are just chock full of weapons on, like, all sides. And it gives you this scene where it's like, they are fully engaged in the combat in this valley. And so, this thing's gotta be lit up like the 4th of July, like, LRMs flying off this thing. Uh, PPC batteries like going off like this is just glowing right yeah Yeah. that's true Grayson does see them like shooting their guns and even this is where it talks about the fire shadows Mm -hmm. how because they're next to each other they have overlapping fields of fire so there's like these blind spots around the dropships I thought that was cool yeah it does a great job painting the picture that they're not just sitting ducks out there that they are a hard fought achievement to try to take a dropship they're a substantial amount of firepower. I mean, they are practically fortresses. Yeah. They get described in such a way that makes them the scariest things on the field. Yes. And I love that Keith took that time and painted another really cool cinematic scene that you'd love to see in a miniseries or movie where yeah. Grayson's like topping a hill and you're just watching this battle unfold beneath him i like to think that like he like crests the hill he hits like the military crest that like one third mark on the hill and so the marauders cockpit is just like barely over the hill and the like auto cannon on top is just like topping and he's like okay there they are and he's just kind of like surveying the scene because it seems like a bad idea to silhouette yourself on a mountain in the middle of a battle <laughs> The scene, it's just like, you're, and you're just like, oh, it's just absolute chaos as these mechs are trying to disable the uh, Phobos and the uh, Deimos. And then, as Kanan was saying, the Great Death Legion is desperately trying to, like, make their way to uh, the Deimos and the Phobos, but they have all these enemy combatants in the way. And I like how, in the combat descriptions, Keith kept that tempo up. Like, the Great yeah. Death is not here one on one honor dueling each mech they come across i like that it kept that experience that they learned in verthandi and put that in the pages it's clear they are slugging it out yeah each one knows precisely to get the good shot in dip out of view while another mech comes in hits from a different angle keeping the opposing mechs like swiveling trying to figure out who their next target's gonna be or who they should even be shooting at that's something that we got to see a lot of in verthandi towards the end and i i'm really happy it kept up here and the same fighting style remained so consistent i didn't even think about yeah uh but you're right he does do a good job of that that's interesting yeah they do a good job they could have gotten really messed up here this is some serious weight 
But uh, yeah, they kind of, they're just exactly, it's like, it's like momentum. They kept moving. They got to get to that recon lance, right? They got it because the recon lance was back here. We could see earlier when he was looking down at the dropships, he saw them on the other side, like engaging with the Merrick forces. So, but that's where we leave them. They're just, they're, it's like this chapter is dead in the middle of the battle. He was in the middle of fighting a Wolverine. And then we get the Charles Bear didn't get his melee, but it's not over. This thing's just getting warmed up. Absolutely. And we'll have to find out exactly how hot things are going to get in the next chapter. Chapter 10. We open with Grayson in a skirmish with that Wolverine, right? The Wolverine, he's shooting missiles at him. We get right back into the battle and we can see the recon lance. They're still fighting on the other side. And, and Grayson realizes that his priority is to reunite with his recon lance. We have to regroup. I got to get over there. So I don't have time to mess with the Wolverine. So he just like hunches over and like PPCs, like the trash out of this Wolverine. He messes it up, but he just like rushes past it. He just like runs up the ridge. We see he gets a good look at the recon lance over there now. Because remember, the recon lance is Vandergriff in the Commando, Trevor in the Wasp, Roger in the Panther, and Graf in the Assassin. But the Assassin is not there. Grayson does notice that the Assassin is absent. Speaking of where mechs are... Did you say commando? Yeah, there's a commando. That's true. The commando. We haven't talked about the commando, right? I don't think so. I don't think so either. That's a classic. The commando is the Lyran little dude mech with wafer-thin armor. Yeah. And passable speed. And a complement of SRMs that will absolutely shred other light mechs of this era. The Commando lives up to its name. Its ability to counter and potentially fell scout and recon mechs is exemplary. Oh, and when the Commando is supported by larger mechs that specialize in punching holes through armor, the Commando complements by being very effective at exploiting said open holes. The exploiting is done with a pair of SRM launchers, a Coventry SRM-4 and a Shannon 6-shooter SRM-6. This is backed up by a Defiance B3M medium laser. The Commando is a mech that's more than capable of punching well above its weight class as long as it is missed completely by enemy weapons fire and is well supported. I love a Commando. (laughs) I know you do. Truly do. Do you want to talk about our... Take a moment and mention our one, one of our oldest, most loved... Running jokes, almost? Running joke. Yeah. I would say that we refer to the commando's ability to punch so high above its weight class and so many things as commando magic. And we have made that joke to many people that have ended up playing with us before. And they're like, yeah, but it's just a commando. Every time they're like, it's a commando. (laughs) Yeah. And then inevitably in all of those games, the commando does something incredible to take a heavier assault mech off the board 
and they go, I wasn't a believer until now. <laughs> so we have a lot of converts to the commando magic. Uh, lots of cracked canopies. Interesting. Have been mm-hmm. attributed to uh, our boy Magic, the commando pilot. Yep. But because of that, and because how many times it's happened for us, the commando has worked its way to being one of my favorite light mechs of all time. On paper, I would actually argue it's like a bad mech. It has like no armor compared to some of its contemporaries. It's not the fastest, it's not the strongest, and it's not the toughest. Well, it does do a lot of damage for a light mech of this era, but it's not speedy and it's definitely not well armored. That's really the big problem, is the armor. It is only available to Lyrans. Is it cheap? It's 1.8 mil C-bills. That's not incredibly expensive for the era. But nor is it the cheapest. Back to your regular scheduled program. The Commando is sweet. It really is just like a little guy. With like a helmet, kind of. Doesn't he? I feel like he looks <laughs> like he's got like a little hat on. He's just like a little guy with the hat. He does. The newer art makes it look like, I, I like to think of it as he's got like one of those commando watch beanies, you know, the black beanie. Oh, yeah. But there's actually older art where it looks like he's wearing a beret. It looks a little silly, but mm-hmm. it's still cool. I love them. They're cool. And yes, there is a commando in the recon lance. Of which Grayson only sees three of, which then alerts him even more, because when he sees the assassin is not there, he thinks, oh no, maybe he's already down, so I better hurry up. And he rushes he past the Wolverine and puts the throttle down, tries to get over to his guys. This is where we get that section about Gordon Wilcox. We get the Gordon Wilcox story, and you're like, who's <laughs> Gordon Wilcox? We learn that there's a locust pilot named Gordon Wilcox. And that he's in the 5th Merrick Guards, right? We learn... And he's real grumpy. Yeah. Those are the ones who destroyed Durandel, right? The Hammer Strike Company? Right. Those are the ones the Great Death Legion just outright destroyed. Yeah. We learn here he was originally in that company, but he didn't go with him. They left him behind, and Colonel Langsdorf went with them instead. And Colonel Langsdorf... And Colonel Langsdorf is not the usual commander or something. He got rotated out from someone else and they rotated him in. He's like mad about it, right? There's this whole thing. And then Langsdorf took all of his buddies and took them to Durandell. And then only Langsdorf made it back. And apparently all of his friends died. And now Langsdorf is telling him he has to charge these entrenchments. Ramage, they were fighting light mechs, right? And now he's like, now I told the guys that they're clearly dug in. They're just going to shoot rockets at us. It could be quite dangerous. We really don't have to. And he's like, now I'm out here and I'm having to charge these trenches with these commandos. And he's mad about it. And he's even kind of conspiratorial, right? He's like, you know, some of the guys say in Langsdorf, maybe he's like a, he's like a what? It's like, (laughs) it's kind of funny. We get, it just cuts over to this like locust pilot, like losing his mind. Yes. He's sitting there talking about, we were 12 strong. Like me and my friends all work together in this group. It goes through and explains how the Griffin pilot Nakamura was the old captain of the group. And that's the Griffin pilot we saw get squashed at the battle by the Great Death Legion. What about Nakamura for a D-lister? Now he's got a name now. As a D-lister? No, he didn't. Uh, he, no, you already called your shot. 
<laughs> Nakamura. Well, no, no, I I nominated. That doesn't mean you yeah, nominated. Yeah, yeah. You haven't cast your vote. But no, we just get the name Nakamura, and so far his story was, uh-oh, the Great Death Legion's here, and he got stomped. I just wanted a Griffin. But he mentions that it's like the the only three left of us are a stinger, a wasp, and a locust. And now Langsdorf is sending us directly into the face of a dug-in commando yeah. unit. He's like, we get torn apart. I'm only in a locust. A dug-in commando unit with two supporting dropships. Yeah. Yeah. He's right. Yeah. And he goes on to highlight, like, he's got a warhammer and he's not even coming to support <laughs> us. Like, what's happening? Yeah, he's mad that he's being hung out yeah. to dry, that he's being used as bait, right? And he kind of rubber bands between that, like, if well, it kind of makes sense if they're going for a flank, but it still sucks that we're here. He's just mad about the whole thing. I mean, he did just lose all his buddies, you know. I'd be mad, yeah. too. Yeah. I'll be honest. This is our Raul da Silva moment, right? I love it. <laughs> I'm like, here we go. We We get another guy. That was my first thought when I was reading this of like, last time we got enemy perspective with a name and a backstory, things go terrible for the Great Death Legion. Somebody gets beat up real bad for it. And so I read it the whole time with that sense of like, uh oh, what's this guy going to end up doing? Yeah, we should remember this guy, Gordon Wilcox. Gordon Wilcox. Uh oh, that sounds like a trivia question. So... We see the battle from Gordon's perspective. We get the scene of him charging the trenches, and we see Gordon attack a machine gun emplacement, and the guys run out, and he cuts them down with his machine guns. And then we get a sentence, he didn't see the enemy sapper until it was too late. And you realize, oh, this is the locust that Ramage put the satchel charge on. I love this because you get this whole thing and then like at the end you see Ramage from his perspective. He he looks down and he sees Ramage running up with the satchel and we're like right back to where we were. The bomb goes off and he's like, and it explodes and he's like, damn. It is interesting because it does like retroactively mean like it's like, oh, all that stuff that's just been happening with Grayson that happened previous to this. Yeah. And so... It's kind of weird with the time thing, but I like that Keith just freely plays with it, and I think it pays off here. He's done that a couple times now. Where he's, Indeed. We're, we're kind of playing mm -hmm. catch up. We're like going back and forth. I like this. Getting the different perspectives. Yeah. yeah. I also like how Keith gives us the explanation of why does this guy get out of his mech? We made a big deal about it last we episode. Did. Yeah. Brent said it was unhinged. <laughs> and the answer was... He was unhinged. He was unhinged. Yeah. He was right. It's like road rage. It's true. He's like so mad. Yeah. He's like, he's like, I'm going to get out and kill this guy. He literally, he like pops yeah. the hatch and like gets his gun. So Gordon gets out of the locust because he's going to hunt this guy down himself. And we see that wasp shoot the missiles that we saw earlier. It's like he sees his lance mate come in and like shoot the missiles at, at the trench. And he's like, ah, there he is. And he like runs over and while he's approaching, because remember, Ramage blacked out. So he sees his like unconscious form over there and he's making his way over to him. There is a bit he's thinking about his family, his mother. He has a fiance. He hasn't seen them in years. And he's like, here I am on this stupid mission. I hate it. I just want to go back to Merrick. He's crying. It's very sad. 
he eventually, he makes it over to the body. He makes it over to Ramaj. He flips him over and he's like, oh, is he dead? And he realizes, oh no, he's still alive. And immediately Ramaj's eyes snap open and his knuckles like snap up and like strike the dude. And he like gets knocked back like, oh, it's like so violent. And then before he can even like, he's like reaching for his gun Ramaj jumps up and then he doesn't even see him pull the knife. He's just like, he's just like the dude gets up. And then like, before he knows it, Ramaj has like slashed him across his chest and he's like bleeding. He falls. He's like blacking out. Ramaj kills him with a knife. He jumps up and knifes the guy. Gordon is on the ground. He's his last words. He's like, fuck you, Langsdorf. And he dies. It's very sad. But Ramaj, he's alive, and he kills this guy. I mean, this guy was going to kill Ramaj. We get confirmation that Ramaj is alive from the perspective of the Locust pilot. He does all this setup for this scene here. I love this. I think it pays off. I do, too. I love the idea of, like, Ramaj just being, like, in a puddle of his own blood, laying down. Guy flips him over. It's like, this guy, (laughs) I better kill him quick, because this guy's going to die before I have the chance to. And then Ramaj just snaps out of it, punches a dude, and then kills him with a knife before the guy even knows what's happening. Just more cool Ramaj stuff. Yeah. It's just there. He's the best. His uh, closing thoughts. Damn you, Langsdorf. Yeah. And then curtains. So Ramaj is alive and he's here. We get a scene with him immediately. He's leaning up against the tree. I mean, he's messed up right? He is on death's door. He got hit with the shrapnel, right? But his vest did stop the worst of it from penetrating, but he's still pretty messed up. He's pretty close to death. Like He's in critical condition. He's in a lot of pain. He's bleeding. He can hear the dropship cannons firing over the ridge, but it's funny. He's listening and he's like, oh, that's the Marauder's autocannon. I know that sound. And he just from the sounds of the battle, He's able to identify that Grayson has arrived, and he's like, ah, it's going to be okay. <laughs> I love that Ramaj, like, wakes up. He's, like, looking over himself, and he looks down, and he's like, my knife's bloody. And then he, like, looks over, and he's like, oh, I yeah. killed that guy. Wow, yeah. I should be dead. <laughs> what's going on? Let's see what's happening in this battle. I see this part of the film's, like, shot in first person, right? And, you know, you're mm-hmm. hearing the autocannon of the Marauder, and he's like, it's Grayson. It's going to be okay, I think. And it's just like this, like, you know, like all the sound is kind of like, uh, what's that called, Kanan? You're doing like a Saving Private Ryan on the beach where it's like... Where the mortar round hits too close. And so now like, and so they like mess with the audio. So it sounds like you've temporarily gone death. You hear like the tinnitus sound. Yeah. (laughs) Which isn't what it's called. (laughs) I just hear it every once in a while. You put like a heartbeat (laughs) into the mix. It's like... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's a cool scene. He's laying there. He's dying. He does, however, see a couple of pack rats rolling through. I'm like, what's a pack rat? But Ramaj knows, and he realizes those are the ECM carriers. Those are the vehicles that are causing all of this jamming. They're jamming all the communications, right? They have the electronic countermeasures, and... It is very funny. He also complains that they're not using them right, that they're like way out of position. It's so funny. He's like, oh, pack rats, 
they should be at opposite ends of the battlefield. Why would you have them this close to the, he's like, they're doing it all wrong. It's, he's like criticizing them even, even as he's like dying. And Ramaj is kind of right here. It seems like they're pushing these kind of like up the center of the battlefield. So let's talk about this for a second. You know, I'm going to do a little bit on the pack rat, but also specifically before we even get into the pack rat, the ECM. So again, kind of like in decision at Thunder Rift, this isn't the lost tech that is guardian ECM. This is just the pack rat specifically has kind of an enhanced communication suite and this ECM is part of it. And this is like kind of strictly communications electronic countermeasures, right? So this is just disabling local comms. And we've talked about kind of how that works before, which is, you know, just like high power signal transmitting on all channels. It's not really, it's actually very like low tech kind of stuff. But the pack rat, on the other hand, we should talk about for a second. I don't have a lot of experience with pack rats personally, but the the pack rat is a light wheeled recon vehicle with a crew of two. It has light armor, which is to be expected of a recon vehicle. The pack rat sports a Harvester 20k SRM6 for when the recon gets a little messy followed up by a rear-mounted flamer. A rear-mounted flamer to uh, keep enemy light mechs off your tail, or, or I guess look cool. <laughs> I don't know. I don't <laughs> I guess. However, it can and should avoid combat. It moves at a fairly impressive speed, given that there is reasonable terrain for a wheeled vehicle. It can reach speeds up to 118 kph, thanks to its doorman 120 fusion reactor. It's a recon vehicle, and it has all the tools to live up that role. But I agree with Ramaj in saying, maybe let's not send this thing up the middle of the fight. <laughs> See, when I was reading it, Ramaj is sitting there going like, why are they bringing this up the middle of the fight? It's putting him at such a risk. And then maybe Ramaj hasn't realized yet that he's not in the middle of the fight anymore. <laughs> it's just <laughs> Ramaj here. That's fair. But it, however... I still stand by what he's saying because it seems unnecessary to have two of them side by side. It would be much better to have these spread out to give you like a much broader coverage. I can't think of a single reason why having two of them together, if their intended goal is strictly comms jamming, because these things have 16 points of armor. They are not taking a hit. And I think we're maybe going to see that here in a second. Yeah, I agree as well, because when they were talking about the jamming, they mentioned that Grayson's team was being jammed at Helm's Down. Right. And so it's got a wider band than it needs to be right here. And especially what you were saying, splitting them up sounds like it would have really helped in the next coming scene. Totally. So we got the pack rats rolling through. Also, Ramaj looks over, he notices, oh, there's a whole column of infantry with them. He notices now there's like a whole like mechanized infantry company coming in and they're going right over to where the whole mech battle is taking place. And he's like, why would you even be moving all these forces? And then he's like, oh, they're going for the dropships. He deduces that they're almost certainly going to be making a play to capture the dropships. And... He's like, man, I got to do something about this, right? If they capture the dropships, it's over. And remember, he's messed up, right? He's in a lot of pain, but he kind of gets up. He takes Gordon's gun. He realizes, oh. The Rugen submachine gun. Right. 
he takes Gordon's Rugen, and then he's like, if I can take Gordon's Rugen, maybe I could take his Locust, because <laughs> he's looking over, and Gordon left the keys in the ignition. Gordon left it idling. That thing's still rolling. He's seriously, he left the cockpit open. He left the thing idling. The engine isn't even off. And Vermash is like, oh. He's like, you know, I know Lori Kalmar, so I'm like a bit of a locust pilot myself. He's like, I've talked to her about it several times. It's just one ladder away. Yeah. He's messed up, but maybe he can do it. And he's kind of hobbling his way. There's like a chain ladder hanging down. He's like hobbling over. He makes it. He starts to climb it. He's grabbing on like, uh, uh, it hurts to climb. But of course, because there's a bunch of infantry like right over there and they turn and they're like, hey, there's a guy. And they start like shooting at him while Ramage is like trying to climb into the cockpit. There's like bullets pinging off the hole and stuff. It's very dangerous. What an amazing motivation tool yeah. he's found. <laughs> yes. He does. He takes the gun, though. He does. He does like the turn and spray kind of like sprays behind him to try to get, oh, a little, yeah. get a little suppression going on. He gets in. He like you know, rolls over, like basically falls into the cockpit. It's funny. He doesn't even worry about the neuro helmet. He doesn't even put it on. He's like, that That stuff's just for mech warriors. Yeah. I'm no mech warrior. I don't need to go anywhere. He's like, I know how this works. He's like, it's. A, he's like, how hard could it be? <laughs> he does say it is identical. The controls are identical to the one that Lori had. So he's been in the cockpit before, like this same cockpit. So he knows some stuff. He knows how the weapons work because he gets on the stick and he gets a laser lock on one of the pack rats. And he pulls the trigger. He lasers the pack rat. Right, Ramage climbs in the Locust, lasers the one vehicle, and then, like, moves the reticule over and, like, hits the other one. Like, boom, boom. He, like, hits them with the, he, like, lasers one after another and then, like, immediately loses consciousness, by the way. Like, he's just, he barely gets off that last shot before he slips into blackness. He's just like, I, I hope that, yeah, he passes out. Maybe it's good enough. <laughs> He Good passes night. out in the cockpit. That's how the Ramage yeah, out. That's how it ends. He he gets he snaps off the two laser shots and then he loses consciousness. What a hero! It's, he's hero. the best. Every time I read the Price of Glory, I get hyped for this part. I'm like, oh, we get the like sweet Rambo Ramage scene. <laughs> I'm like, I'm always ready for it. It is like the staple in these books. If you get the Ramage perspective, something amazing's about to happen. Well, that's what happens when you got a little dog in you. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> it's a Trelawanese, dude. You can't kill him. Nope. It's true. Ramage is the best. I would have never predicted we would get Ramage in a mech in this book. If you that that wasn't on my bingo card. This was awesome. <laughs> I could see Ramage like as he's about to pass out. He's like, maybe mech warriors are overpaid. <laughs> yeah. He's like, see, I told you it was easy. <laughs> I mean, he's not out of the woods yet. There was a boatload of infantry, I think, coming in behind those two pack yeah. rats. It does appear that he did some damage to the pack rats. So if he was able to disable the ECM, that would be huge. It'd be quite the boon for Grayson. However, that's also going to give the enemy an opportunity to react to Grayson's presence. So it'll go both ways. And with that... We'll have to find out exactly how much Ramage helped out the Grey Death Legion in the next chapter.
Chapter 11. We cut back to Grayson in the Marauder. He's in the cockpit, and immediately we notice the ECM has stopped. The comms are clear. He can make phone calls now. So he immediately calls Martinez. He asks her, how's the ship holding up? You know, what's going on? What's the situation? She tells him, it's doing good. We've taken a little damage. We're doing all right. And Grayson's like, all right, I'll tell you what we're going to do. Deploy the onboard infantry. Because, right, there's guys on the ship, but she had no reason to send them all out and get slaughtered. So she's been holding them inside, right? They're holed up. Hatches are closed. Grayson tells her, send the dudes out because we're going to make a push, right? Let's all work together. Let's hit them hard. Let's try to scare them off. Let's try to shock them. This is our only chance. We can't really do a whole protracted thing, but look, I'm pushing in. You push from the inside out. The goal is to put enough pressure that they get these guys back up over the ridge so they can at least regroup and reconsolidate. So we wade back into combat. Grayson starts moving in. He engages an archer. It steps out shoots his missiles at him. Grayson shoots his PPC at it. It kind of like backs off. Grayson kind of gets back into cover. He gets a new sensor reading. There's another mech approaching. He turns to face it. It's an assassin. It's Graf and the assassin. He's out here wandering around, not with his lance. And he's on the radio. He's like, don't shoot, Colonel. It's me. It's Graf. And Grayson's like, Graf? He even has a moment where he's like, is this guy deserting? Am I going to have to shoot this guy? He wasn't like, what's going on? He demands to know, Graf, why aren't you over there with your teammates, you know, helping them fight? I thought it was funny. He hits him with the old, my coolant seal blew, Colonel. Everyone's always having their coolant seals blue blow. My coolant seal. <laughs> yeah. He's like, I just need, I got to go back for a quick fix. The Lance leader authorized it. And Grayson's like, oh, uh, okay. All right. Well, hurry up then. Go get your coolant seal fixed then. And... He lets him go, right? He's like, all right. He keeps like running past. And Grayson's like, I got to get back to the recon lance anyway. And the whole time we've just been trying to get over to the recon lance and we finally make it. And the radio is clear. And so we're able to communicate with him. So he gets on the radio. He's talking to Francine Roger. He's asking her what's going on. She tells him, we're pretty messed up. The wasp lost a leg. We got it propped up against the wall. It's still upright, but it can't walk. And Grayson tells her, he's like, oh, yeah, I ran into Graf, by the way. He told me about the uh, malfunction. He told me about the coolant seal situation. And Vandergriff's like, malfunction? What malfunction? I didn't tell him. Graf just, we started fighting. We looked around. He was gone. The dude vanished before the first wave even hit. And Grayson's like, oh, no. He's horrified. He's like, what's, did he, is he deserting? Did he go AWOL? Is he defecting? Do I got to shoot this guy? He's confused. He's like, why did he lie? Why is he going to the ship? Suspicious. But Grayson commends them. He tells them, you know, you guys did really good, though. You actually, you held off a lot of, you did better than I expected you to. They really did, though. I mean, yeah. These four light mechs up against quite, what what were we at? A company strong plus infantry? Yeah. And they at least made enough time for them to get there. It's no small task. It's impressive. Francine tells him, though. She says, there's more that you should know, Captain. She calls him Captain. But, and I thought that was interesting because isn't Grayson's rank Colonel? I thought it was interesting she called him Captain. I wasn't sure why. I tried to, I was like, I wonder if she's, 
if this is her being curt with him or if maybe if it's the opposite of being curt actually it's that they've gone back a little ways now and maybe this is her being kind of plain spoken with him i'm not sure i also thought it was weird yeah because she calls him colonel at the very beginning yeah so i'm not sure if she's upset or if she's being familiar with the colonel yeah that's interesting she tells him that she saw them bringing up infantry. She brings up that there's that whole company of infantry approaching. The same thing that Ramaj saw earlier. She's like, there's a whole, they got a whole bunch of soldiers moving in. And she does point out, though, there's that locust down there. And I think one of our guys captured it. She's like, there was some funny business going on with that locust. And Grayson's like, wow, somebody got the locust. He even thinks to himself, he's like, whoever captured the locust might have saved the legion that was a huge play in a big spot he came through and they're just like it's good to have you back sir and he's like sure i do like they call them merrick ecm cars those pack rats they do kind of just look like weird sci-fi cars i laughed i was mm-hmm. like yeah totally <laughs> it's true Ramage was totally successful he absolutely we see the results of his work he absolutely disabled the ECM. So effective. And uh, he totally could have been the deciding factor in this from this being a complete disaster. I'd be hard-pressed to say it was the only thing holding this all together. However, it, combined with the recon lances doing their job and the infantry units, making it difficult for this mech company and the, the suppressing fire from the dropships, I think it all had a pretty good hand in... Making all this as successful as it's been so far. We'll have to see if it keeps up. Yes, absolutely. Then we get a scene with Graf in The Assassin. He pulls up outside the Phobos, and they get him on the radio. They're like, Graf, what are you doing here? You see him, he's standing right outside the big hatch, like the big mech bay door. And he's like, I got a blown coolant seal. I need a quick fix. And they're like, all right, we're opening up. And they begin, like, opening the big mech bay door. They're, like, lowering the hatch down so that graph can get in. Yep. All these graph scenes coming together. And you're just thinking, this isn't going to be good. No. <laughs> it's It's been a great tool for tension. Yeah. And I really like how Keith used that through this whole chapter. like, And how Keith has set this up from the very beginning in the early chapters of graph working against them too earlier in this episode when we were talking about Grayson looking. He's like, I don't see Graf in there. I wonder if he's okay. And then he comes up to him and you can tell Grayson's wary of it. He's looking at it saying like, hmm, okay, I guess so. But more in that realm of like, maybe he's being a coward about it. Maybe he's just dodging. Who who knows? But either way, I don't have time to deal with it right now. If you need a repair, go get one. And then we get this scene and you're like, "Uh uh-oh, it's just getting worse. The tension point is getting stronger. And Keith does a good job of just laying that out for us. It's exhausting. Then we get a scene with Janice Taylor. I couldn't believe it. I was like, wow, we get Janice again. I had no idea. You remember Janice from the mines. Yeah, (laughs) Janice from the mines. And from the, remember, she was the one talking to Grayson Right before the bomb went off in the yeah. hallway. And so we get Janice. She's crouching in the bush, right? She's, remember, she joined the commandos. She's with the infantry. So she's mm-hmm. over there with her squad. They're in the woods. We even get a little backstory. We get the little catch up. It's like, it's just like they did with Ramage. 
a very short summary of like for Thandi. We even get a reference to Nagumo. It talks about how she fought to save her home planet from monsters like Nagumo. I was like, yes, Nagumo, rip. <laughs> rip Nagumo. Maybe they'll have windows to look out of in heaven. (laughs) (laughs) Nagumo in heaven. Or hell. You know what I mean. (laughs) (laughs) He's right up there, hanging out with Kavlavik. The redemption arc will bring them all there. (laughs) It talks about how she couldn't stay and just watch the world get divvied up by the the big boys. Remember, they talked about that at the end, how that book really ends with the Commonwealth and the Combine coming in and just like writing contracts and just like slicing the thing up for everyone and she's like i just couldn't stay to quote her directly with liberty only a few days old there had been people willing to trade away the blood purchased freedom in the name of expediency or profit this whole section really just sums up our whole conversation we had at the end of mercenary star about it so it was really nice that we got to see that keith was writing it with that full intention here and he doubled down on it through janice taylor here She has a new home with the Legion. These are her people now. Home is the regiment, if you will. (laughs) It even talks about, she's thinking about how she thought she loved Grayson, but actually Grayson loves Lori, and... Lori's the captain's girl. Everybody knows that. Exactly. (laughs) I really like how Keith put in that little statement in there of like, she thought she was in love with Grayson, but it turns out Janice found out she was really in love with the idea of a man like Grayson. (laughs) that somebody is a good person so she's like i don't feel bad that he likes lori i'm happy that grayson exists me too me three so janice she's here with her squad and some dudes run up on her we get movement on the perimeter and she jumps up oh identify yourself she gets in a little gunfight with merrick infantry they even throw a grenade at her and she like rolls away and like jumps up and guns them all down it's very cool and they like rush up and they can they can see the dropships from their vantage point and they see that the hatch is open and that the infantry they're fighting, they're part of this, that was that large company of like infantry that was like rushing the dropships. She sees them, there's all this whole platoon, they're like just breaking, they're all sprinting as hard as they can straight for the open hatch and Janice is on the radio and she's like, Phobos, close your hatch, you got dudes coming and... She tries to get him to close it, but also she there's an explosion inside the mech bay, right? Internally, she sees that something has happened inside the Phobos, and Janice and her squad, they're like, they keep firing into the dudes, and they cut down a bunch of them. They kill like a dozen dudes, but they, they don't stop for anything. The dudes just keep running until eventually a bunch of Merrick infantry totally makes it up the ramp into the ship she like watches it happen she's like oh no and then as soon as the infantry gets on the heavy mechs start rolling back over the hill and she's like why isn't the Deimos shooting though and she realizes oh because all of the phobos's guns are pointed at the Deimos. and the chapter ends with a little hatch popping open at the top of the phobos and the little purple Merrick flag getting raised at the top of the dropship, and the Phobos has been captured. They put the little flag up. What a silly way to end the chapter. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, why is there a flag there? This is a. Tra- I, I, I'm sorry. I'm gonna have to be real. I'm, I'm like, why is there a flag? You don't like this? They put the little flag. It's the little purple bird flag. Yeah, that's what they do. 
I will say I like that Keith was like, we'll have Grayson order off all the infantry before the other infantry raid them. That way there's a reason that there's not really much of a fight back from the crew. Yeah. But <laughs> little flag or not, the dropship being captured is the worst case scenario. Indeed. Graph ruined it for everyone. Yeah. Well, we're already at worst case scenario. This is like worst case scenario, new game plus. Like, <laughs> we're <laughs> not only is Grayson being blamed for some unknown atrocity, but Grayson doesn't know yet, but we know that Grayson's being blamed for this great atrocity. And now his only route to kind of run away from this problem is being cut off. It's a lot of no bueno. No. And they were doing so good. They really were. It wasn't until they let Graf in. But I love the fact that Keith used that whole setup we were talking about earlier, this tension point of Graf, and then having it pay off with this worst case scenario in this battle moment of the dropship got captured. So they captured the Phobos, but... They still haven't captured the Deimos. It's just like the guns are pointed at each other. We have like a bit of a standoff between the two dropships. So so it's possible. Maybe they'll still make it out of this with one dropship. I don't know. We'll have to see. Well, we'll have to see what happens with this standoff in the next chapter. Chapter 12. We open with Grayson on the phone with Thurston, who is the commander of the Deimos, and Thurston wants to surrender. Thurston is surrendering, and Grayson is telling him not to. He's like, don't surrender. Let's negotiate. Don't, no, don't turn yourself over willingly. And someone even cuts in on the radio. I think Delmar Clay is like, he's being a coward. And then Graf cuts in, and Graf is like, oh, he's being quite sensible, actually. And he says, allow me to introduce myself. I'm Captain Harris Graf of the 5th Merrick Guards. Not my real name, oh, of course. Oh, oh. And, oh. yes. And if you don't surrender the Deimos, we have tampered with it. We have told the captain that they sabotaged it, the reactor in some way, and... He's saying that if they don't comply, that they'll send a signal and it'll trigger like a reactor meltdown and it'll destroy the Deimos. I think that's from what I gather, that seems to be what he's saying here. And mm -hmm. Grayson is horrified because this is the succession wars. He's like, who would destroy a dropship in this economy? <laughs> Outrageous. Says, we don't have a lot of these things. People just don't go melting dropships. This is insane. These guys must be serious. Grayson asks him to release the crew. I like the description here. Warriors who wantonly destroyed something as precious as a dropship were viewed as barbarians by most other 31st century warriors. Barbarians. 
Barbarians. Savages. You don't do it. It's a real mouth and pongo move. Yeah. Grayson pleads with Graf to release the crew, and Graf refuses. He says, no, they are my prisoners. I will not release them. I will keep them all until the trial. And Grayson's like, trial? Excuse me? What trial? trial? Yeah, what, do you, what trial? We're here under orders from Janos Merrick. I'm a Merrick man through and through. And Graf's <laughs> like, well, you know, come on down then. Climb on out of that. Mech, we'll come talk it out. Come on down here. No hard feelings. However, it did not seem like he actually wanted to talk it out. And Grayson senses that. No. Right. He refuses. He's like, no deal, Graf. And so he accepts his terms. He surrenders the Deimos. Shout out to Tren in this part. I love his delivery, especially on the like, actually, I'm Captain Harris of the 5th Merrick Guards. I thought it was splendid. Yeah. So a truce is called. There's a ceasefire. They stop fighting. They stop shooting at each other. And so the Legion begins searching for their injured, right? They're scouring the battlefield. Grayson sends a team to go get whoever captured that locust. He's like, oh yeah, that locust. Someone get some guys down there. They send some texts. They start pulling the pilot out. And the medics bring him up on a stretcher. And Grayson realizes, oh, it's Ramage. That's crazy. He's like, it was Ramage that was in the Locust. How funny is that? He's messed up bad, though. And unfortunately, we don't have a medical center. And so he might not make it. No one wants to think about it. They just try to stabilize him as best as he can. And they're just like, we hope he'll be all right. I like how when Grayson learns that it was Ramage, there's that statement of when he learned the unknown trooper was none other than Captain Ramage, it did not surprise him. Yeah. And it's just like, <laughs> of, course of course it was, it Ramage. was Ramage. Yeah. <laughs> Who else? <laughs> so now Grayson is standing on the ground. He's standing next to the foot of his marauder, right? They're all chilling. They're trying to get patched up and figure out what's going on. And this is where Delmar Clay walks up. And we get this whole bit about how, about the trading between the two sides in a battle. Delmar Clay tells him, Hey, Colonel, this is kind of weird. No one wants to trade anything with me. Like, not even news or anything. We get a little section that talks about how it's common for, especially in the succession wars, when it's just like... When you've got, like, house units and mercenaries that abide by the rules of war and they have these ceasefires. Yeah, exactly. They... It's common to call a ceasefire, and it's not uncommon for opponents from both sides to still like hang out feel like they bum smokes off each other and like trade rumors and trade little knickknacks and stuff and like snacks and whatnot it's funny because a lot of times it's like not personal right they're just like dudes doing a job sometimes it is but mm -hmm. like a lot of times you can see it how especially like the low level foot soldiers and stuff would just be like hey do you guys uh do you guys got any uh whiskey or you know they like trade little things and yeah. Delmar Clay tells him they don't want to trade. They're like not talking to us. They won't tell me any news. It's like they hate us personally. They're like mm -hmm. disgusted by me. It's weird. And then Janice and Lori walk up and they're like, he's right, Gray. And Janice goes <laughs> on about 
Yeah, normally they ask me on dates and stuff. She says, <laughs> they're always asking me if I want to become a kept woman. Yeah, they're not even whistling or catcalling. It's weird. They hate us. Mm -hmm. And this is where Grayson realizes, oh, they're acting like we're outlaws. Outlaws. Yeah. But I do like how Keith threw this little scene in here as well. It as like a little world building about how these conflicts are fought. And especially when it gets down to the foot soldier level of a lot of people enjoy the, for the nation, the idea of fighting the combat. But then when you get down to the day-to-day -day side of it, nobody actually ends up wanting to kill each other when there's no reason to. I really feel like this is, he, he's pulled this straight out of the history books, right? There's many times any student of history will have come across in wars spanning over the ages where events like this transpire. I think a common one is in like World War II. You'll often hear about during Christmas uh, between the Germans and the Americans, there would be ceasefires and they'd even like come out of the trenches and celebrate together. And they'd actually have problems mm -hmm. once that happened, the lieutenants and the captains and, and whatnot would struggle to get the men to get back in the trenches and start shooting at each other, mm -hmm. which uh, honestly makes a lot of sense. It seems strange to me in my experiences, but I could also see it happening too. It's very human. I just like that Keith put it in here because I do think that's a nuance. As you said, it is something we have seen many times in history. But when you read a lot of fiction work that are, especially in like a fantasy sci-fi setting, it's almost like oil and water between two different factions. No matter what's going on, they cannot get along no matter what. And so in this one, it really brings it back down to that human level. Except in this example, mm -hmm. it's actually, yeah. he's using it as an oddity how uh, they're not treating them like people. Well, and also to move us closer to that plot point of Grayson's got to figure out what's actually going on. Here's another little piece of the puzzle. Exactly. Yeah. Mr. Keith has done an excellent job of, instead of kind of giving us one big reveal, I mean, obviously we know already, us the audience, through mm -hmm. dramatic irony, but... He's done a good job of interdispersing little clues to Grayson for us to watch him solve. Absolutely. Yeah. These guys are not being chill, though. They're treating them like outlaws. And Delmar Clay brings up the point, if they hate us, then they, there's a good chance they might not actually honor this truce, right? They seem like these guys are not friendly, so we should probably be ready for like a surprise attack. And Grayson agrees. He's like, good point. Everyone, get back in the cockpits. Get ready. Because it's true. These guys are acting really cagey, and we need to be careful. Mm -hmm. Sure enough, less than 10 minutes later, after, a flare goes off. Like, from the dropship, somebody shoots a flare, and all of the Merrick forces immediately resume attacking. It's crazy. They all open up at once. There's, like, machine gun fire from the woods the mech starts shooting again and the recon lance calls over and tells grayson colonel they've jumped us they put a bunch of weight on us there's a bunch of heavy mechs over here and grayson's like all right i'm on my way francine i'm coming and he puts the marauder he puts the hammer down he puts it into full sprint and he's telling her roger get your people off that ridge it's too hot you guys got to get out of there but francine 
She's like, I can't leave Sylvie. And that was the wasp pilot, the one that's missing the leg. But there's there's mortar fire is hitting their position, and he's trying to get over to him. A centurion attacks Grayson. I think one from earlier. He shot it before. He shoots it again. He PPCs the centurion. They have a little like battle, and he doesn't chase it though. And he realizes he's taking some shots from behind. Grayson turns, and it's that Warhammer again. And it's shooting back. There's even a bit he realizes, oh, the Centurion was bait. They were trying to get me to chase so that he could, like, box me in. Luckily, I didn't take the bait. But this Warhammer could totally mess me up. It does. There is this cool scene, right? Did you guys see this? He, like, closes his eyes and focuses on the feelings in the Neuro Helmet. That, like, phantom limb syndrome kind of thing where you can kind of feel it in like a weird way it's like it seems to imply that he does this evasive maneuver this like side crouch he kind of dips and crouches the marauder over and kind of makes this like weird evasive maneuver but he closes his eyes and like focuses on the sensations being fed to him that like feedback thing it's cool it's cool i liked Mm -hmm. this so he makes this maneuver he puts the centurion between him and the warhammer so now the Centurion's in the line of fire. He gets obliterated. They like set mm-hmm. off an ammo explosion. The, the Centurion explodes and there's a bunch of smoke everywhere. I think the Warhammer starts to pull out. Grayson turns back to check on the recon lance and they've been annihilated. It's very sad. The Wasp is on the ground. Yeah, the cockpit has been crushed. The Commando is now a smoking ruin. He sees Francine Roger. She's still in the Panther. She's a little further down the slope, but she's fighting the Thunderbolt, the Wolverine, and three other light mechs. She's laying into him, but she's, I mean, severely outtunned. And Grayson can only watch as the Thunderbolt moves into melee range and smashes the Panther's cockpit. And the chapter ends with. Grayson hearing Francine scream over the TACCOM as the fist ascended. And that's it. That's the end of uh, book one. Ends with the recon lance getting completely obliterated. It's a somber end to the first part of the book. Yeah. It ends <laughs> It ends in screams. Yeah. Yeah, we're yeah. like in the middle of it. I'm like, oh no. I was like, and here's the part where they pull out and they kind of, and it's like, no. It ends with like, and then they all spring this trap and the Merrick forces begin attacking again and they kill a whole bunch of them. They hurt them even more than they did before. And I'm like, oh my God. Yeah. The, the Merrick mech warriors do a phenomenal job of delaying Grayson's command lance from being able to reinforce the recon lance and they just get the better of them. Mm-hmm. I mean, this whole part has been one worse step for the Grey Death Legion every chapter we went through there really wasn't a point where it's like oh things are looking up and up for them things are coming things are growing no it has been from the second they left serious five the interesting thing here though for me is that grayson's not making the wrong moves right like i actually feel like no across the boards we're experiencing pretty diligent competence like Mm -hmm. throughout the ranks of the gray death legion they're getting outplayed and outflanked both in the mind and on the field here. They, they're being tricked yeah. and getting outmaneuvered 
and outplayed. I mean, there's no like balls about it. Langsdorf is a competent enemy, as well as these attached fifth Merrick guards. Well, and I would also say to grace inside of this, it isn't stemming from a bad decision. As you said, it is competent. It's stemming from the betrayal of right. that. All the way through is that Grayson held up his end as a mercenary. We have talked about in the previous two books many times about these points where Grayson's encountering something new. Yes. Throughout his time as a leader. And up to now, he's developed into a very good leader. But the thing he hadn't really encountered yet was this level of betrayal for doing the job he was contractually agreed to doing. I'll be honest with you, this kind of le- this level of skullduggery is only things that we've seen out of Grayson himself. And I actually mm-hmm. would pose to say that what Keith's done here is create a character that is, for all intents and purposes, Grayson, but wearing the purple bird shirt. Mm-hmm. But they also have the backing of an extremely powerful organization behind that as well. That's true. And getting all of that through this book set this up to where it doesn't feel like either side has made their moves based off of cheap information that Keith has given us. It feels well thought out. It feels very planned all the way through on both sides. Grayson's reactions to things show his growth and the interaction between Merrick and Comstar show their competence, show their competence all the way through. So this isn't a bumbling mess that Grayson gets to take advantage of. This is a really deadly and lethal scenario that he has fallen into. This isn't Nagomu failing to react over and over and over again. Yeah. Langsdorf has been proactive from the get-go. Yeah. I mean, this attack is a direct counter to the attack Grayson led on the fifth Merrick guards in the town of Durandel, right? Absolutely. It just goes to show this man's prowess that he was like, well, they got the better of us there. We need to act now and we need to get the upper hand. And they did by acting Mm -hmm. swiftly and competently. And here we are. This whole first part has felt like a trap closing on the Grey Death Legion. And unfortunately, this last chapter, it feels like the trap was successful. Like Mm -hmm. it feels like they, it was. It totally worked. Grayson's been trying to fight his way out the whole time. Grayson has seen that it's a trap, but he, not knowing the mechanism, the why, the what, has really mm-hmm. kept him from really being able to break through and breach. And you're right. Mm-hmm. I agree. I think it's finally closed up around him. It's dire. Yeah, it is. It is. And I would say the other strength of this is that when we've talked about other plans in the past two books, we've been able to poke holes in them very quickly of saying like, oh, here's a fail point. Here's something somebody could have done differently. And it uh, it could have been a completely different situation. But in this one, I feel like we'd have to have a much longer discussion to try to figure out what points could have been manipulated, what points could have been changed to get a different outcome for the Grey Death Legion with the information that Keith laid out. This one seems very foolproof. Really, Grayson would have needed some foresight, literally some kind of, I truly mean magic, as in like the ability to read Graf's mind, Mm -hmm. 
the the thing that Grayson's missing here is intelligence. He doesn't have mm-hmm. access to what the Merrick troops know and the reason that they're acting this way. And yeah. that's put him on the back foot at every turn. All the way up to Graf the, and the assassin being able to uh, get on board the dropship and basically single-handedly take one of the dropships. Yeah, and there, there haven't been many opportunities, if at all, for Grayson to have the need to even attempt to gather that intelligence. Right. Or to think that, that one of his own mechs would turn on him. Exactly. I mean, as far as we know, there's not been a turncoat in the Grey Death mm-hmm. Legion, at least not up till now. No. Even throughout the Verdandi campaign. Yeah. Really a reason to have one in the first yeah. place. I'm sure that's something that's going through Grayson's mind through all of this is like, why? Why us? Why? We're just a small Merc unit. Why is this happening to us? And I think that's a really great setup for it, because as we were saying, the trap has closed in around him, and Keith has done a good job of making it very hard to project where there is any wiggle room in this trap. But Brent, you said it a few episodes ago, the one thing that Grayson has to his advantage here is the truth, but it's going to be how does he wield that? Exactly. I think us sitting here talking about all this... It really goes to show how far William H. Keith has come as a writer from Decision at Thunder yeah. Rift, right? Oh, absolutely. It's been such a meat grinder. We got some hangout time in the beginning, but we haven't had a lot of hangout time with the crew. It has, it's been a pressure cooker. They've been under pressure the whole time. <laughs> I'm so glad you mentioned this, Caden. You're right, there hasn't been a lot of hangout. We, we haven't really dug into any of the characters in too much detail. And I uh, want to just give Aaron a heads up here. We got Rambo Romage, which I knew you were going to like. But I think mm-hmm. you're going to get an even better, exciting little bit here coming up very shortly that you're going to have a lot of fun with. I can't wait. It's going to be tough getting out of this one. This is definitely the most difficult challenge yet. Well, we will have to find out what comes next for the Grey Death Legion, and if they can get out of this when we continue on into the next part of The Price of Glory. This was another episode of Of Mechs and Men. I am Kanan Hill. I was joined, as usual, by my friends Brent and Aaron. As always, we would like to thank William H. Keith Jr., the author of this book, The Price of Glory, and all the other writers and artists who work so hard to keep Battletech alive. And we would like to thank Catalyst Game Labs for being such generous stewards of this property. And, of course, you, the listeners. If you have any questions, comments, complaints, corrections, please, our email is advice at heat.management. And we're also on social media, Instagram, Twitter, at of men, one word. If you'd like, please leave a review or a comment on your podcast app. And thank you so much for joining us. In the next episode, we will be continuing our discussion of The Price of Glory by William H. Keith Jr. This concluded part one. We'll be starting part two in the next episode. And thank you so much for joining us. Until next time. Always remember to have your text check your coolant seals. We'll see you then.